Now, have you heard of the name Jerry Bridges? Jerry Bridges. Uh, Bridges is famous, amongst many other things, for penning a book a good number of years ago, a book, a Christian book, entitled Respectable Sins. Maybe that rings a bell with some of you. Respectable Sins. Even if you have never heard of Jerry Bridges nor the book, you get the idea already, I'm sure. Yes, there are some sins in the Christian life that we immediately recognize as being pretty awful and atrocious. I don't have to list them all, but you get the idea, murder, theft, and so forth. Obvious, terrible sins. But there are other sins, aren't there? Since that though the Bible does show them to be transgressions of God's law, there are other sins that actually, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all <laughs> too readily accept. There are sins that we can be fairly nonchalant about. Isn't that true? Well, this evening, as we turn back uh, to the book of Philippians, what the Apostle Paul is going to do is really tonight, he is going to confront you, confront me with what we might in our absolute folly view as a respectable or acceptable sin. Now, it is a sin that I think every one of us in the room uh, can relate to, a sin that we'll all recognize. It's a sin that is absolutely rampant in 21st century Christianity. So, what is it? Well, this evening, the Apostle Paul will focus us on the respectable sin of grumbling and complaining. That will tonight be where our focus is, grumbling and complaining. Now, in the past, when I've done any work with trainee pastors or trainee ministers, one idea that we've talked about is the idea where in preaching, I've encouraged them to stay clear of too much in the way of recapping in a sermon. Do do you follow the idea? Do you see the idea? Uh, If somebody gets up to the pulpit and spends 15 minutes going over what they have already said the week before, it can be hard going, uh, can't it, Uh, for us. But what's the thing with rules? They're there to be broken, aren't they? So you'll excuse me if I just very briefly recap uh, for a, a moment. Can you remember what we looked at last time? It was a few weeks ago, but do, do, do you remember? Do you remember that we looked at this big idea of sanctification? Surely it comes flooding back as, as we think about working out our salvation in fear and trembling. Do we remember? Do, do we remember that we saw that sanctification involves, what was it, graft? Do you remember our wrestling with sin, our growing in grace? Wow, blood, sweat, and tears. We have to work at this. Do you remember? What was it? What a sick thing. Sanctification involved God. Do you remember we saw that from the Westminster Confession of Faith last time out? That though you're involved in sanctification, I'm involved. Actually, it's a work of God's free grace. And then what was the third thing? Graft God. Ah, we saw that sanctification involved Golgotha. Do you remember we are seeking to obey? Why? It's out of gratitude, isn't it? For the obedience that the Lord Jesus Christ has shown to his Father 
on that cross at Calvary. We remember, do we, we, we remember the context? Well, I want to say to you tonight, it's absolutely critical that we keep that big banner of sanctification in view because tonight it is as though Paul comes into St. Peter's and he says to you and to me, he says, ah, but let me be more specific. Sanctification, yes, but let me unpack that a little bit because what Paul does tonight is give us one area of sanctification for you and for me to focus on. And I don't know about you, but for me that is really welcome news because could it not have been from the the last time we were in Philippians, could we not have gone away almost a little bit at sea You know, you and I come and saying, yes, I want to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I want to fight my sin. But what's the problem? Don't know where to go. Don't know where to start, how to begin. And what does the Apostle Paul do tonight? He gives us. You want to fight your sin? He gives you a first point of attack. And this evening, he encourages us at St. Peter's, let's fight our grumbling hearts. Let's fight our complaining spirits. So if you haven't already, friends, uh, please make sure you've got the section open in front of you. I'll give you it again. Philippians 2, and it's verse 14 to verse 18. I just have a few things to notice. First of all, let's really notice the serious sin of grumbling. The serious sin of grumbling. That'll be uh, where we go first. Now, Excuse me. When we encounter this subject matter, grumbling, complaining, when we encounter it in the New Testament, very often what you will find is the the context of the Old Testament lurking there in the background, in the shadows. See with me? We're in the New Testament. We're thinking about grumbling very often throughout the New Testament. Ah, there'll be references to the Old Testament text. Can I just give you an example so you're, you're with me and following me? So John chapter 6. Okay, so Jesus, your Lord, says this in John 6. He says this, stop crumbling among yourselves. Jesus, John 6. But actually when you begin to study it and look at John 6, what you see is that the one eye is on the complaining of the people of Israel in the wilderness period. So do you see it? You've got New Testament grumbling, complaining, but there's the Old Testament wilderness in the background. Everyone with me thus far? Well, that is actually exactly what we have got in front of us. So understand that this portion of Scripture in Philippians 2 is absolutely chocked full of language that Paul is taking from the Pentateuch, from that wilderness period, and maybe you see why. Why is Paul using language from them? He's using language from the desert to remind you that this sin of grumbling is a most, most serious sin. After all, you know your history, you know your Bible well. What happens to the people of Israel. Can you remember? We know it, don't we? Even the boys and girls know what happened. Because grumbling was rebellion against God. Because complaining was an expression of unbelief 
in God, what happened? But the people of Israel were barred from entrance to the promised land. Everyone follow? So New Testament, but Paul is using Old Testament language here to remind you, see this grumbling that we do, that I do, even today? It is no respectable sin. Now, let me just change tact ever so slightly. Let me point you to a couple of details in front of you in the text. Okay, so have a look at verse 14 uh, with me. You know, it's time, isn't it? Always fighting time. I think if we had longer, if you look at verse 14, I think we could really linger on the partner to our complaining. Do you see what it is? Paul's saying, don't grumble. And also, no disputing, no argument. And can't you, Christian friend, relate I mean, don't you see why Paul has got these things sitting side by side? How often it is that our grumbling in the life of the church, what does it lead to? Arguments with people, doesn't it? We complain and it kind of goes hand in hand with disputing. If we had longer, we could think about the partner. But I really want to just linger for a moment on the prohibition because I don't know if you're anything like me. And, and these things, I hope you're nothing like me. I really do. But if you are, then what else do you do, Christian friends, when you complain? Anything like me, when you moan, you grumble, you also try to legitimize your complaints. You grumble, anything like me, and you try to make excuses for it. Now, it's okay for me to grumble about this area of my life because it's really important. So it's okay to grumble about it. Excuse, legitimizing it. It's okay for me to moan about these people in the church. It's okay for me to moan about this area of the church because look, eternal things are on the line here. And anyway, I'm not hurting anyone when I complain. You see it? Isn't that us? We moan, but we seek to legitimize. We moan and we seek to make excuses. Now look at the first words of verse 14. How is it that we work out our salvation in fear and trembling? What does Paul say? You do all things without grumbling and disputing. I mean, do you see how comprehensive it is? Nothing. Like just absolutely, there is no area in the Christian life, according to the Apostle Paul, no area where us moaning, where a, a complaining spirit is a valid thing. No, it's complete. It is comprehensive. So we are getting the picture, are we not? I mean, grumbling, we maybe think this is acceptable and we look to Scripture and we say, well, it is not. But now I want to take a step back and to address, I suppose this is the big question in the room. I think it's the big question. Hanging in the air at St. Peter's, this question. See, think about the logic here. What's Paul doing? Speaks about sanctification, doesn't he? We've seen that. Then he's gone into one area where he has been specific and precise about sanctification, isn't he? And what's the area? His first port of call is the grumbling amongst Christians. What's the question in the air? Why of all things? Would Paul go to grumbling? Isn't that what you're asking? You know, if we're talking about whole of sanctification, why does Paul not talk about lust? (laughs) 
Why does Paul not go? Let me be precise. You know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why not our pride? <laughs> Why not our anger and these areas of our... T- Why does Paul go to complaining? Aren't you asking that? I think, I think part of the answer, perhaps, is that this was maybe a problem specifically in the Philippian church. Now, do you see that? I think there's probably mileage in that idea. But there is also something else here. But I'm going I'm to need you to pick up your Bibles to see it. Will you do that, please, with me? And the young people, too. Now, if you have a look at your page in front of you, do you notice what we've said before? Do you notice this is the end of the section that runs from chapter 1, verse 27? Isn't that right? So this is the sort of heart of Philippians. So it's 127 through to 2 verse 18. That's a big chunk of Philippians. Now, this is really going to test everyone's memories. Do you remember what I said last time round? What, what is the theme or the, major, the subject matter of that chunk? Do you remember what we said? It was the Christian life. But let's be more exact. What is it that Paul's talking about in this section? Can you look at it with me? Look at the end of verse 27 of chapter 1. Look at the very end of it. In fact, you work out the theme. I'll just read it, some of the words. Work out what the theme is here. Stand firm, he says to the congregation. Stand firm in one spirit. <laughs> You're already seeing the theme, are you? He says to the congregation, be with one mind. Then look on to two, chapter 2, verse 2. Be of the same mind, he says to the congregation. He says to, to the Christians, have the same love. Be, be in full accord with each other. Everybody knows the theme. Do you see the theme? What's the theme? Unity, isn't it? Chapter 1, 27, 218. Unity, unity amongst the people of God. Unity in the church. And now you get it. Now you see why it is he talks about Grumbling. I hope everybody hears this. Paul talks about grumbling here because grumbling is absolutely devastating to the unity of the people of God. If you take anything else away from tonight, if you take nothing else, take that away. That grumbling and complaining spirit is like a death nail. It is absolutely devastating to the unity in a church. And you can see it, can't you? That because our complaining is like cancer and it spreads viciously. And because our grumbling and complaining, it leads to a bitterness rising up within our hearts. What does Paul do to conclude this section about unity? He speaks of a sin, a sin that we so often overlook, but a sin that's absolutely devastating to the hope that the apostle has for the people of God, this hope of unity. And so can I ask you a question? After last time, did you leave longing to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, longing to fight your sin, but not sure where to start, then see here, hear from God in his word tonight. And friend, restrain your words and watch your tongue. And by an absence of grumbling, 
ensure that we might be a united church. So we see the serious sin of grumbling. Secondly, we see here the uh, deeper concern with grumbling. The deeper concern uh, with grumbling. Uh, So we began with Jerry Bridges um, earlier on, and we've seen uh, the idea of respectable sins, and then we thought about grumbling, and how though you and I make excuses for our grumbling, uh, is more dangerous perhaps than we recognize. Well, as Paul goes on in this section of scripture, he does something (laughs) significant. What Paul does here is reveal, believe it or not, a second, I'm going to say this, even more serious threat that is caused to the church by our grumbling. Can I say that again? So Paul is about to reveal to you and to me a second even, we've seen it destroys unity, but he's going to speak about a second even more pressing, even more grave and serious threat that is caused by your complaints and my complaints. Oh, but I need you. I need you to to help me with this one. Okay, so there's a second concern to find here. But would you do this with me? There's three little details in the text. And if we can just gather them up together as a congregation, I think we will see this big concern and this big threat. So will you do this with me? Will you look to the text? First, if you'd look, the first of the three details, look at verse 15 and note the bigger picture. So look at verse 15. You got it? So what does he see? He says, don't grumble, no disputing. Why? Do you notice that there's a purpose clause that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish? Now, does everybody see the big picture here? So it's not just a prohibition on grumbling and complaining. What does Paul want? Paul wants that to be part of a much more comprehensive pursuit of godliness. It's not just don't grumble. It's don't grumble as part of this bigger picture, this bigger longing for pursuit of holiness. Do you see the bigger picture? That's the first detail. Second detail, I want you to notice the arena for this godliness. So read on in verse 15. Where is Paul looking? What's the arena? It's be without blemish, be blameless in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like. Do you see it? What's Paul's concern? Where is Paul looking? What's he worried about? It is about how the Christian relates to the unbelieving world. That's Paul's concern in Philippians chapter 2. It's how you and I relate to an unbelieving society. Now already, I reckon most of you have got the second concern, do you? I wonder, do you? Do you see the area that is threatened by our grumbling? If you don't have it yet, you certainly will if you look to verse 16 and see the accompanying activity. In fact, let me just pause What do you have in front of you at the beginning of verse 16? What do you have there? Some of you have got the idea of holding fast the word of life. Some of you got that? Now that's great and that's not inaccurate in any way, but I think this would be a better translation. Some of you know where I'm going 
Listen carefully. Paul says, don't grumble as part of this blamelessness. You're living in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Wait for it. Holding out the word of life. Listen again. Holding out the word of life. Surely now every single one of us gets the concern. What is Paul talking about here? It is Christian witness. It is Christian evangelism. You can see what he's doing here. Paul implores the Philippians and he implores St. Peter's, don't bicker, don't moan, don't complain. Why? Why not? That unity might be preserved but a unity that will lead to a more effective witness in Dundee, a unity that will lead to an effective witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we cannot moan and complain. Now, some of this is difficult, isn't it? Like, I'm always conscious of that on a Sunday night working through a text like this. It is tough, isn't it? We're tired. We've had long days, but I wonder, do you see what we now have in our hands? We work through this. And what do we have? What's Paul given us? I think tonight here, Paul has given us the solution to that puzzle that so often troubles churches when it comes to evangelism. Do you know what I'm talking about yet? That problem of how to balance our words and our works when it comes to Christian witness. You know that churches struggle with this. You know that Christians struggle with this, don't you? On one side of it, you've got people saying, we only need to speak, right? You'll hear that one, you people saying, oh, we, we only need to go out into the world and call sin, sin. We only need to warn them about hell. That's the only thing we've got to do. And then on the other side of the spectrum, what have we got? We've got people saying, yeah, uh, preach the gospel, but use words <laughs> if you have to. There's that idea as well. But don't you see what Paul is saying to us here in Philippians chapter 2? He's saying, yeah, we've got to speak. Like you and I, we have to hold out the word of life. But what else is Paul underlining here? You see that proclamation, that witness? It's got to flow out of upright living, doesn't it? That Christian friends, if, if our witness in Dundee is going to be God-honoring and God-pleasing, then really our blamelessness, our upright lives have to be observable to this crooked and twisted generation. And surely as you see that here, don't you agree? What incentive is here for you and I to bite our tongues? Are we going to be tempted this week to bicker? Tempted to complain about others in the church? Don't we want to bite our tongues? Because what we see when we grumble, when we moan, when we argue, it's not just our unity, but it's actually our evangelism, our witness to Christ that is compromised. It's serious stuff. And then the third and last thing. So we've seen the serious sin of grumbling, the deeper concern with grumbling. And the last thing is a holy alternative to grumbling. A holy alternative to grumbling. I have broken my rules about recapping, haven't I? I've really uh, have destroyed uh, those rules. So I might as well just go to town, I, I think, uh, don't you? So what have we seen? Let's recap. Uh, we've seen that grumbling is more serious than we think. It destroys unity. 
It affects the witness of the church. Amazingly, what Paul does next in this portion of Scripture, as he closes here, what he does is he gives us a further purpose, (laughs) a third, third reason to call for an absence of grumbling, a third purpose for godliness. And I'm not going to keep you in suspense. So if you would look at verse 16, please look at it. Verse 16. So we've got, don't grumble, be blameless. You're living a crooked and uh, twisted generation. Now, do you see that? Do you see in verse 16 the purpose clause? So that. Now, what's the third big area here? So that in the day of Christ, wow, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or, or labor in vain. It's amazing. Do you see what Paul the Apostle is doing? He is lifting the Philippians' eyes and lifting our eyes to what? To the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is urging them, but he is urging us, refrain from grumbling, refrain from complaining, refrain from infighting. Why? So that on that day, the Apostle Paul, imagine it, he will look on with joy in his heart as the people of God accept from Jesus Christ their reward, they accept from Jesus Christ the crown of righteousness. Isn't it something? We start thinking, grumbling is a respectable sin, but it affects unity. It affects our evangelism, and there is even an eschatological element to this. Now, the complaint, let's be frank about this, the complaint that you might have this evening, I use the term complaint loosely, But the complaint you might have about this section of Scripture, maybe, is that it seems too negative. Paul says, don't do this. Don't grumble. And there's something in us, isn't there, that kind of longs for an alternative to be put before us. Isn't that right? There's something about our nature. We don't just not want, we don't just want, don't want to be told not to do something. I want a positive virtue. And you like that? I want something to pursue in place of my grumbling. Well, praise God, because I think that is exactly by his grace what he gives all of us this evening, a positive virtue to follow. But I want you to look at it and I want it, you to get it yourself. So it's the last thing. So look at verse 17. It's the last thing. Now try and see it. Look at Paul when you read these words in verse 17. Consider Paul and his heart and his attitude and see if you can recognize the positive virtue that should replace our grumbling. Can I read it for you? Verse 17. Think about Paul. What does he say? And what virtue does he show? Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice. Now, can I ask you, what do you see when you look at that and those words? What do you see? I think all of us see temple language. Is that right? Do we all recognize that that's temple language? We do, don't we? So the drink offering, listen, the drink offering seems to have been the lesser offering that often accompanied the main animal sacrifice. So I think we all get that it's temple language. What we perhaps don't all see is that that is a metaphor for death. So elsewhere, let's say 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul speaks at the very end of his life, and he talks about his death and his life 
as being a death, as a drink offering rather, saying his life is about to be poured out. And aren't you, when you read that, aren't you a little bit startled by the fact that anybody could write with honesty what Paul writes to these Philippians? I mean, do you see what he's saying? In truth, he's saying to these people, even if it costs me my life, like genuinely, even if I die here in Rome, or if I am to be martyred later on, even if I am to die, it in no way compares with the importance of your spiritual growth. Isn't that an amazing thing for somebody to say? Paul's saying, my life is nothing. My life pales into utter insignificance when compared with the spiritual progress of the Christians I know. And when you see that, when you hear that from the Apostle Paul, you now surely see the attribute, the virtue that ought to replace your grumbling and your, your critical hearts. What is it? It is humility, isn't it? Don't we need humility to replace our grumbling? Humility before our brothers and sisters in Christ. Humility with our Christian family at St. Peter's. So I ask you this, sincerely, when you find yourself this week, when we find ourselves tempted to backbite and to complain and to argue, can we not resist? Can we not fight that temptation? Can we not replace our words of complaint with words of kindness with each other, words of encouragement for each other, words of truth. Can we not replace words that we're so familiar with, words where we're tearing other people down in the church? Can we not replace them with words that build each other up, our beloved brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? And then let me do this. Let me just draw the curtain closed on this main central chunk of Philippians with what is going to seem like a really depressing truth. (laughs) We're going to fail at this, aren't we? Yes, you and I have to fight our grumbling. We have to. And yes, by the grace and mercy of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit, yes, we will make progress. But even as we do that, what do we know is going to happen? We're going to find ourselves complaining. We're going to find ourselves bickering with each other. But where is our hope? Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Jesus of Nazareth. For what has he done for us? Though the people of Israel, they entered into the wilderness and they grumbled and they complained. Our Lord entered the wilderness and he emerged victorious. He faced satanic temptation and he did not grumble and he did not complain and he did not moan. And then what did he do but go on to Calvary's cross where what happened and what occurred? Our Lord's life was poured out and it wasn't metaphorical. Please understand that. 
our Lord's life was poured out as an actual, literal, spiritual sacrifice for our sin. And now by God's grace working in us, what do we see when we look at Jesus Christ? We see, yes, the word of life. Isn't that it? We look at Jesus Christ and we see in him and him alone by repentance and faith, we can know this joy and gladness, this delight that Paul talks about, but the joy and gladness of reconciliation with God. So we will grumble and we will complain, but at the same time, we must praise Jesus for what has he done for you, Christian friend? You would say to me, would you? He has borne your sin. I'd say something back to you. What has Christ done for you? Christ has even borne the punishment for your so-called respectable sins. He has even borne all of those and borne those away. Friends, let's bow.